0: If you were to trace the Apostle Paul's journeys in the first century, it would be kind of like tracking the path of a wounded deer running from a hunter, leaving one bloody trail after another. Now, I was never a hunter, but my grandpa Canaan was, so I know what that looks like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul did a little tracing over some of his blood-stained trails. This is what he said. I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Can you picture this? Physically, Paul must have been a wreck. Everywhere he went, he carried on his body a shocking diary of scars that visibly testified to these terrible hardships he endured. So much suffering. Was there any point to it? Any plot to his life? Or was it all just random and meaningless? All that suffering and yet Paul could write about joy. Joy along the bloody trail. Joy no matter what. How can this be? How can this be? That's what we want to explore together this summer. Today we begin looking at the fascinating letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. Philippians is a kind of thank you letter to a church he started. It was written in 61 AD from Rome, while Paul was locked up for the first time under house arrest. And the great theme of this letter is joy. Joy. It appears in every chapter, 16 times in various forms in this short letter. Remember, this letter was written by a man who left a bloody trail behind him. A man who was locked up, robbed of his freedom for two years. He was at the mercy of a madman named Nero, the Caesar in Rome at that time. But Paul had joy, regardless of his difficult and painful circumstances. He shows us a vigorous, authentic Christian faith and lifestyle. And this is what we all need. This is what we all long for. Joy regardless. We all have some circumstances and some seasons in our lives when we feel as if we're the ones leaving a bloody trail behind us. Things that have wounded you. Some self-inflicted wounds, too. When I look at the second half of my ministry here with you at New Life Philadelphia, one of the things I see is a bloody trail caused by a series of wounds, such as my being progressively disabled by post-polio syndrome, uh, the dark pit of clinical depression, the affliction and the fight of addiction. And I see how God has met me, and led me, and carried me every step of the way. He's amazing, and he's done that for you, and he's done that for us as a church. He knows how to shepherd us. He knows how to lead us. He knows how to restore us. So I know what it's like to be on the gospel road, to have the fire in my bones, to know Jesus, and make him known to others, and yet... At the same time, to limp and bleed along the way with wounds that were some self-inflicted and some inflicted upon me. But isn't this the way of the cross? Isn't this the way of the cross for all who need a Savior and have found a Savior in Jesus Christ and are following that Savior, Jesus Christ? So I've discovered that I read and hear and Will preach Paul's letter to the Philippians a bit differently than I did when we preached through it more than 25 years ago in our first decade uh, as a church, our life together. A few things have happened along the way in a quarter century, don't you think? And I think, by God's grace, I think I now see a bit more clearly and identify more personally with people around me who are wounded and bleeding in various ways as they make their way through a sad, fallen, broken world. So I personally thank God for his severe mercy that has enabled me to to see better and to feel more and to hope more. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So was the Apostle Paul. And we're going to hear his words a lot this summer. How about you? Where are you bleeding today? Where are you wounded today? Some that are self-inflicted wounds. Some that are wounds inflicted upon you. And all the while, You too hear the call of God, and you feel the fire of that gospel burning within you. You want to know Jesus, and you want to make him known to others. You are not alone. You are not alone. Sometimes wounds are so isolating, but you are not alone. We walk together, and sometimes leaving our own bloody footprints behind us for others to follow. As we follow a Savior and Lord who bled and died and rose again for us. And that, my friends, is the source of our very life and the source of our joy. Joy no matter what. Joy no matter what. Amen? Amen. So let's get to it. In this series, we're going to get real. We're going to talk about real life. With real joy. So let's read our text for today from Philippians chapter 1. Follow along as I read the first six verses. This is the Word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Wouldn't it be natural for Paul to feel alone, to feel isolated, to feel out of the flow of life, His world had been shrunken down and limited to a small house, his chains, his guards, and anyone who could come and get permission to see him. But he's obviously a happy man. He's filled with a deep joy. His sense of fellowship with others just oozes out of these opening verses. He speaks, did you notice, he speaks of a partnership in the gospel. It is so precious to him, and it gives his life joy and purpose. There is a plot to his life and to theirs, and it's full of joy. It flows with grace and peace that come from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He believes he is linked with others in the business of God. The good news that a Savior named Jesus Christ has come into the world, And that anyone who trusts in him will be forgiven completely of sin and made holy in him, given a new life in the family of God forever. Do you see it? Do you see it in these opening verses of Philippians 1? Sinful people, once separated from God and from each other, are now servants of Christ Jesus. God's holy people. In Christ Jesus. A church family with elders and deacons and grace and peace and a partnership in the good news about the one, the one and only, the Savior sent from heaven to be the life giver and the joy bringer and the Lord of all. Now that's a life that has a great plot and great joy. Paul knows he's not alone. He has a spiritual family. And he has a high and holy calling in the gospel. His life indeed has a plot, and it is full of joy. Is this true for you? Is this true for you? Think with me about this for a few minutes. Are you living a life that has a plot and is full of joy? Are you living a life that has a plot and is full of joy? I know your life is full of so many things, but is it full of joy? Sometimes your life is so full that you don't even have the time or the energy to notice whether you're bleeding or not. And as for joy, well, who has the time and energy for that? You know what I mean? Are you with me? Your life's pretty full. Maybe you have a bulletin board or a refrigerator at home that has become a kind of crowded gallery of things that are close to your heart. It's getting more and more crowded all the time. Your life is more and more full all the time, isn't it? A crayon drawing of a tree done by a child or a grandchild hangs, you know, a little crooked next to the smiling little artist's school picture. And just below the crooked tree is the, the Christmas family photo of some close friends who now live too far away. And you look at the two-year-old squirming on his mother's lap, and you smile when you read the words, Peace on Earth, which is embossed below. In the middle of all these delightful photographs of your loved ones is the picture of a somber little girl from a third-world country that you are supporting through a mission agency. Every time you go to the refrigerator, you remember the rickety little shack where she lives. It doesn't even have food in it much less a refrigerator. Below her photo is the address you clipped out of the paper that tells you where to send money if you want to help out the families who lost their homes in the last hurricane or flood. Whenever there's a natural disaster, you usually dig deeper into your pocket to contribute to the relief because, well, you just have to do something. You are already doing a lot. Maybe in the mail yesterday you received a letter from a friend's college-aged son who wants to spend a semester as a missionary in India, and he's got to raise money for the trip. You think you ought to send him a check because he's such a great kid, and it's such a great cause, and this would be such a great experience for him. But in the same batch of mail came an invitation to a fundraising banquet for cancer research, along with an appeal from the parent-teacher association to help with the bake sale for a much-needed school-library makeover. You drop all of these letters on the kitchen table where they join the day's new bills. Is this sounding a little bit like your life? (laughs) You have one child getting ready for college, another who needs braces, a car that needs new tires, and a parent who's going to have to go to a nursing home they are all counting on you. Sometimes it feels like the whole world is counting on you. And all because you are the kind of person who puts a child's drawing of a tree on your refrigerator. (laughs) You might think with all of these demands for our heart, our time, and our money, life is so full, that the last thing people would be concerned about is the meaning of their life and what they are called to do with that life. But if my pastoral experience is any indicator, we are very concerned about our calling in life. Next to relationship issues, the thing that people have come to me to talk about the most over the years is their calling in life, which is actually a a relationship issue as well. As Paul will say repeatedly throughout the book of Philippians Your primary calling is to know Christ Jesus as your Lord. But what exactly does that mean? Most of us are much more comfortable thinking of calling in terms of a responsibility instead of a relationship. The modern world of the previous century hammered this notion of responsibility into our souls. Built on such pillars as the inevitability of progress, the great hope of the education of the masses, the limitless potential of science and technology, and the essential goodness of humanity, a modern vision of the world looked promising. Many in America placed our nation under God and assured us that our society could even resemble heaven if everybody just fulfilled his or her responsibilities. There was a narrative, if we were paying attention, there was a narrative that was pulled over all of life. Sociologist Peter Berger called this narrative a sacred canopy that stretched across the nation. Sacred canopy that stretched across the nation. The plot of this modern narrative and the plot of our own lives, we were told, would work out wonderfully if you just did what you were supposed to do. All would be well. Well, by the end of the 20th century, that sacred canopy had become tattered and torn. The promises of that overarching narrative of life proved unreliable. Science actually led the way in telling us that we had been naive we had been naive in believing that science could do anything. And some of the things it had done, it wished it could undo. But how do you uninvent nuclear weapons and dirty bombs and smart bombs and drones? And how do you keep rogue nations and terrorists from acquiring and using such weapons and technology? Educating the masses proved more difficult than we thought, and it did not rid us of our social evils. In fact, the worst crimes of the last century were committed by the well-educated. We realized that not everyone's life looks like a Hallmark card. The Civil Rights Movement taught us that the image of equality did not fit the stories of minorities very well. Nor did it describe the story of the single parent, working women, or blended families. And significantly, many of us did fulfill our responsibilities in life, or we tried really hard to, only to discover that the company would not fulfill its responsibilities toward us. Or we discovered that our families could still fall apart, or that our lives were still vulnerable to diseases for which there were no cures. So we began to mistrust the promises of the modern plot of life, along with its structures, its institutions, and its devotion to following the rules and doing our duty. We began to assume that we were each on our own to do the best we could. Now there are just many little narratives of self-constructed lives. Yes, family, community, friends church, volunteerism, are all still viable, still components, but only as a la carte options to choose from for pulling together the life that you want. So we have lost a lot of the modern vision of life, and nothing was more significant than the belief that life has a plot. In particular, We lost faith in the promise that if you do your duties, you will be happy and everything will be well. Now it feels to many people that there is no plot to life and no happiness to be found. Life is just a random collection of disconnected events and people, one experience after another. And you are on your own. You are on your own to figure out your life, not through duty... We give up on that, not through duty, but through choices. Choices. We are now, as a nation, we are as devoted to choices as the previous generation was to duty. We teach our children to make good choices, assuming this will help them make a good life. If you don't like the life you now have, you should be able to choose again, and this time choose better. The legacy of this is already apparent. It's not working out very well. As we see people using up their fleeting years, desperately trying to find a life they finally like. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am not You are not, but he is. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Through every change, he, faithful, will remain. Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This means that what matters is the choice of God. ...to be at work in your life. That's what matters. The choice of God... ...to be at work in your life. It is the same. Pre-modern, modern, modern, post-modern. The gospel claims that what matters... ...ultimately is neither your choices... ...nor your duties. What matters is the choice of God... ...to be at work in your life... ...from start to finish... ...and everywhere in between. What ties it all together is the blood of Christ shed for you on a cross to cleanse you of your sin against God to bring you his salvation to give you a life a new life with a plot a purpose that is full of joy it is the bloody trail of Jesus from the manger to the cross to the tomb to the resurrection that is what will give you a life that has a good plot that is full of joy, blood and all full of joy. So Paul writes in verse 6, as he writes from his little house where he's under house arrest, he has no freedom. This is what he writes in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Isn't that great news? God is at work in your life, believer in Jesus Christ. And God has not yet brought it to completion. You're not finished. But he will bring it to completion. He promises. You have his word on that, no matter how you may feel about that today. No matter how it might look in your life today. I want you to look carefully at that verse. Can you see the reasons why Paul, locked up in a cell, why Paul was confident and filled with joy? It's because God began the work, God was carrying on the work, and God was going to complete the work. Paul was absolutely convinced that God was at work in the church at Philippi. That God was in full control of that church. And that everything about that church followed a plan for God's glory. There was a plot to it all, full of twists and turns, yes, but full of joy. Because God was at the helm from beginning to end. Well, I too am absolutely convinced that God is at work in our church here in Philadelphia. That God is in full control of this church. And that everything about our church is following a plan for God's glory. There's a plot to it all, full of twists and turns, yes. But also full of joy, because God himself is at the helm from beginning to end. Amen? Amen. And that is why our church's vision is to be what you see on the front of the bulletin every Sunday. A thriving family in the city where the broken from all nations are made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus. That is why we speak to the hearts of people who are without God and without a spiritual family to call home. And and we say to them, you matter. Your life matters. You matter to God and to us. There is a life for you that has a plot plot. To it, full of joy. Because God is in it. God is in it from start to finish. Do you see it? Do you see it? Will you believe it? Will you own it? Give it a test drive this week. Pray and look for someone that God will bring across your path. And say to them, You matter to God try it. You matter to God. The word Paul uses for completion shares the same root as the word used by the Apostle John when he recorded Jesus' final words on the cross. It is finished. Completed. Done. Finished. God secures your salvation in Christ from start to finish. It's it's, not up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to him. The one who began the work would stay at it and finish it. That's what gave Paul confidence, joy, and purpose in his life, whether he was walking free or confined in chains. The word Paul uses that is translated as work is ergon in the Greek. It has the the meaning of Purposeful, productive activity. In fact, for all you scientists out there, in the language of modern physics today, an erg, E R G, an erg is a measurable unit of work. So, what Paul is laboring to say in verse 6 is that God's involvement in our lives is purposeful work. It's going somewhere, it's concrete, it's real. And sometimes it's even measurable. This is where calling begins when you think about your life. Not with your calling, but with God's calling. It begins with the Holy Spirit, who is at work in your life as the the Spirit was at work at the beginning of creation. In very specific and even measurable ways. Shoving aside the darkness and the chaos in order to create beauty and life and light in its place to give all of life a plot full of joy. When you look at the story of your life, this creativity of God may be hard to see at any given point in time. Don't be discouraged. It may be hard for you to see the plot or find the joy. The current chapter of your life may be focused on something dark, On a dark disease that lurks in your body or in the body of someone you love. Or the chaos of a life that is just not working out as you had dreamed. Or relationships that are lacking, missing, or falling apart. It may be hard to figure out the plot of your life. But that is only because the author of your life story is not yet finished with it. When will God have completed his good work in the story of our lives? Well, it's in what Paul calls the day of Christ Jesus. For Paul, I don't know if you've noticed, it always gets back to Jesus Christ. Whatever you're talking about, whatever the issue is, whatever the problem is, it all gets back to Jesus Christ. Creation began... Not only when God the Father and God the Spirit, but also God the Son, the eternal Word without whom nothing was made. It it had its most decisive moment in the incarnation of God in Christ. The Word was made flesh to live among us, God with us in Jesus. And it's moving. God is on the move, God is at work. It's moving to a culmination of a new creation in Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ, says Paul. In the words of one theologian, Jesus Christ is the center and the boundaries of our history. Do you know that about your own life? That Jesus Christ is both the center and the boundaries of your story? If a savior and king is both the center and the boundaries of your life story, then yes, you know your story has a plot to it, and it has to end well, because God is in it. So if it is not going well today and feels pointless, all that means is that you are not at the end of it yet, that God is at work from beginning to end to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. The history of the world and the history of your life is moving to a very decisive fulfillment in the day of Christ Jesus. The author knows what he has in mind. And it's a good work. Not because we will do our duty, but because Jesus Christ has done and will keep on doing his duty until all is fulfilled in him. In this, find your purpose. Find your joy. So what about all those pictures on your refrigerator? What about all those things you've got to do and all those causes you've got to support? They are not your duty, and they are not your way of self-constructing a happy life. They might be your calling. They might be. But if and only if they are written unto your heart in blood, the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you by God's choice to give Jesus to you and to give you to Jesus. Then all those things can become your invitation, it's really an invitation from God, to be part of the plot of God's great love story on earth, full of purpose and joy in Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now that is a life that has a plot to it, full of joy. Amen? Amen. 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 I want to give you a little time before we go home. It's always good to stop and pray, think, process what you've heard from the Word of God. These are challenging matters. Especially if you're feeling a disconnect between what is happening in your life right now and what God says about his being at work in your life uh, to finish what he starts in Jesus. So, spend some time in prayer now. Just pour out your heart to him. Ask him to open your eyes and your heart to what he is doing. What he's doing. The work that he's doing in you and through you. To bring to completion what he started day of Christ Jesus. So let's spend a little time in prayer, and after a few minutes, I'm going to play a video song that I hope will will express your heart and will also lift your heart with joy. I know it will for me, and I I hope and pray it will for you.